Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. We, yeah, a uh, long passage, that's right, ooh, because that means he knows it's going to be a long sermon. Um, it's a, always a long sermon, it doesn't matter what the passage is. John 12, 20 through 36, we, we've talked about believing is seeing, we've talked about seeing is believing, we've talked about believing is worship, we've, we've talked about a lot of believing and seeing, and this morning we're just talking about seeing Jesus. This is our next message in our The Truth to Believe series through John that will take us through the end of uh, April, I believe, uh, or May. Uh, we got a couple more months of it, and we will work through the entire book of John over these next few weeks. The, uh, our memory verse for this quarter is now on the screen. Let's say it together. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. John 15, 5 and 8. Y'all, that's going to take some work. Uh, that's a long passage with a lot of words. So we're going to have to work on that one. No telling when she's going to... Oh, I didn't see it. Oh, there were going to be blanks this week. So I was nice to you. That was going to be mean. Made you, made you memorize some already. Our, uh, I don't even know what slide's next. I think it's the title slide again, isn't it? Pat, yep, yep. So, seeing Jesus. This, this is how the passage begins, seeing Jesus. We'll, we'll get there in a second. But the question we need to ask ourselves, or, or maybe I need to ask you, when people look at you in order to see Jesus, what do they see? It's 11 o'clock on somebody's watch. There we go. I heard beeping. Uh, when somebody looks, wants to see Jesus and, and they look at you to see what Jesus looks like, what do they see? Oh, that's, that's really a question we need to ask ourselves every day. That's how we are supposed to live our lives, representing Jesus, ambassadors of the kingdom. When people look at us, they... They should see Jesus, but if, if instead of just looking at you, they asked you to show them Jesus, like some folks in our passage today, what would you say? I mean, ideally, you could say, well, in these ways, I try to exemplify Jesus. I try to live like Jesus, but you're, you're probably going to hesitate to point to yourself when somebody says, hey, could you show me Jesus? And that's understandable. So how would you describe him? What would you say to, to them? Well, our passage today, the disciples were asked or told, we would like to see Jesus. And what they did was they took the ones who asked to see Jesus to Jesus. That's an acceptable 
response, by the way, for you to take people to Scripture and say, let me show you who Jesus was. Now, there's a whole New Testament, and really Old Testament, too, of who Jesus is. So it could take a while, but there are passages that you could say, hey, this is who he was. Hopefully, you've, you've studied enough, you've read enough Scripture that you know some things about Jesus. But when, when Philip and Andrew take these, these Greek God-fearers to Jesus after they ask to see him, Jesus gives an answer to it, to that question, and probably not the answer that they were expecting. And that answer was incredibly expansive and yet astonishingly minute at the same time. It says a lot and doesn't nearly encompass everything. We're going to look at this passage today, seeing Jesus. We're going to see Jesus for who he said he was in this passage. We, Ed and I talked about, uh, I think it was maybe yesterday, that sometimes songwriters try to put everything in one song. Like, we got to cover all, we got to cover the Trinity, we got to cover the union between Jesus and God, how he's fully human and fully divine. We got to cover penal substitutionary atonement, we got to get that in there. We've got to cover the, the, what we believe about the end times, we've got to cover uh, the problem of evil, we've got to cover the, the eternality of Christ, we've got to cover the, on and on, and, 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 well, you can't. Your song really needs to focus on a couple of things that, that, that just helps us worship God in a particular way for a particular thing. Preaching is absolutely no different. I've told y'all before that I want to say a lot more than I do, and y'all are so glad that I don't say any more than I already do, right? So, but, but there's so much more, and, and, and passages of Scripture don't always say everything that little old me thinks they should. It's why when we uh, present the gospel, now I use one verse, uh, evangelism, Romans 6.13, for the wages of sin is death. But the, uh, huh? So, I'm sorry, 6.23. Uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's, that is the gospel. You can share the gospel with that, but you realize you've got to add stuff like the, the, the crucifixion, the, the resurrection, repentance, uh, some other things. You, you, you've got to add stuff to that verse to, because there's not one verse that is the complete gospel. If I use the Roman road, it's five or six different verses from Romans, not in order, as they are found in the book, all over the place. One passage doesn't say everything. That's why we have a big Bible, a full Bible, that we read and we study because it says everything, everything it needs to, and we still don't get the full picture of who God is and who Jesus is, but we get what we need. What's the point? Well, this morning, this passage is not going to tell us everything about Jesus. As a matter of fact, in my opinion, it's going to leave out a couple of very critical points. 
This is who Jesus was saying he was to these Greeks at this point in time in his life and ministry, some six, seven days before he is crucified. Our big idea this morning, our main point, is that truly seeing Jesus means putting aside who you think he is and believing who he says he is. Again, there is more that he will say about himself even later on in John. Now, we're even going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But we have to take what Jesus says right here and apply that. And then later on, when we get to the other parts in John, we apply that. This is why I'm, I'm not the greatest fan of devotionals that take one verse and then jump to wherever. They're, they're great for a, 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 an appetizer. They're the cheese and crackers before the big meal. That's fine. But you, we miss so much. And, and we're dependent on whatever that author has to say about that one verse and why, how, whatever verse they chose. Now, if you're doing that and it goes consecutively through books and you get every verse, that's a different story. But even then, you're missing some big picture. Because we come to the Scripture and we got to eat all of it. Not just little bits of here, here and there. Truly seeing Jesus means putting aside who we think he is. Right now, every one of us has an idea of how we would describe Jesus. If somebody came to us and said, hey, show me Jesus, or in, in the way that we would have to do it today, tell me about who Jesus is. And as I said, you could go to Scripture, but which part are you going to go to? You're going to have to go to a lot of the parts. And then when you're doing New Testament, you're going to have to go back and say, and this is what it said in the Old Testament about, uh, Testament about him when he was coming. Today, we see who Jesus was, who he said he was at this moment. John 12, verses 20 through 36. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. 
Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. It's interesting, his answer, his response to the Greeks that wanted to see him. Uh, these Greeks, uh, they, they were, they were God-fearers, uh, we, we assume, and they might have been proselytes. Now, what's the difference? A proselyte is somebody who had converted to Judaism, a Gentile who had converted to Judaism, and they were there for the festival. A God-fearer was someone who hadn't fully converted to Judaism, but was following the Lord, was, was, was interested liked him, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, we'd call them seekers, maybe, nowadays. Uh, they, they would not have gone through the festivals and all of the, 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 the changes that they need to go through to become uh, fully Jewish, at least in their religion. They were interested in it. Regardless, these Greeks are there. And they go to Philip, and we don't really know why they go to Philip. They, it's assumed because Philip was one of two disciples who had a Greek name. Philip, we are told, is from Bethsaida. Bethsaida was kind of on the border of, uh, of Judea, and on one side of that border, it, it was a very mixed community anyway, and then it was very Greek, very pagan, on, I believe, the east side of it, that, that direction, that area, that, that whole region. So maybe they... They, heard, they knew this guy named Philip was a, a disciple, and they heard that he was from Bethsaida. So, hey, maybe he won't run us off being Gentiles wanting to come and see Jesus. Philip then goes to Andrew, the only other disciple with a Greek name. And together, and if you remember, it was Andrew that brought Philip to Jesus, if I have my, my memory right. Those two then take this message to Jesus. We don't know if they took the Greeks to Jesus or just the message to Jesus. It doesn't really say. Jesus just replies to them. Was that to the disciples? Was that to the Greeks? It does later on talk about a crowd, so we assume the Greeks were there. But they go and they, these Gentiles want to see Jesus. Now, just a few verses before this... The Pharisees, the, the, uh, the, the ruling folks, have already gotten upset. One of them said, the whole world is coming to him, as if that were a bad thing. But to him it was, because that was going to attract attention, and that was going to uh, get Rome mad at the Jews, because they were lifting up a, a king, at least in their mind. The whole world is coming to him. And sure enough, before he is even taken the cross, before he has been buried and resurrected, before Peter preaches a sermon on the day of Pentecost when folks from all over the world at that point come to Jesus, before any of that happens, Greeks, Gentiles, 
heard about Jesus and they want to see him. I'll ask you the question again that I asked at the beginning. If people want to see Jesus, do they know to come to you? Do they see him in you before they even ask? Or are they surprised to find out? Oh, you go to church? Well, what do we see about Jesus? When, when the Greeks said, sir, we want to see Jesus, and Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and let's assume just for the sake of this morning that the Greeks went with them, they got to see Jesus, there he was, and he starts talking. He starts showing who he is, telling who he is. What does he tell them about him? Well, first, he says that he is glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is, I believe, the third of seven times, maybe the fourth of seven times, that the hour is mentioned. Every time prior to this one, I believe three times prior to this one, it's the hour is coming, the hour is coming, the hour is coming. This is the first time, and for the rest of the times it's mentioned, it will be the same. The first time he says, the hour has come. Interesting that it was the Greeks that, that spurred that comment. Was it exactly because they came? Were they the actual catalysts? Or was it just God's perfect timing? Don't know, doesn't matter. But when Gentiles started coming to Jesus, Jesus said, my hour has come. My hour to be glorified, he says. To be lifted up, he's going to say in a little bit. I had to look up glorified. I mean, I knew what it meant. I could use it in a sentence, right? But to define it and to understand exactly what it meant, I, I, I needed to look it up. So I'm going to read you what the, the Bastion of Knowledge Dictionary.com says. Oh, I actually wrote it in my notes, too, so I didn't have to look on my phone. To be glorified is to be honored with praise, to, to be admired, to be worshipped. Glorification would be, or glory would be honor, distinction. Okay, got it. He will be glorified. He will be praised, admired, worshipped. Let's think about the next six days. The, the next six days leading up to Passover, the day before which he will be crucified. The day before the Sabbath, rather. He'll be crucified. Oh, he'll be honored and glorified and, and, and admired when he marches into the city. Yeah. They'll, huh? Oh, sorry, he was, right, he, he's already done that. He, he has been honored and glorified. God's going to say in a little bit, I've already glorified you. We're, we're talking about all, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The rest of the time, he's going to be betrayed, abandoned, beaten, rejected, crucified, buried, 
that doesn't sound like praise, admiration, or worship. And yet he says the time for his glorification is here. He will be glorified. Well, we know, because we've read the rest of the book, right, that what he's talking about, the resurrection, the, the ascension, he will be glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, all that. He will be glorified. The hour has come, but look what he has to go through. And at this point in the passage, he just says, the world is looking now. Jew, Gentile, now's the time. The hour has come for him to be glorified. That's the first thing he tells these Greeks. The next thing he tells them is that he's going to be dead. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Hi guys, Greeks, you want to see Jesus? It's me, Jesus. I'm going to be glorified. And I'm going to be dead. Not the best of introductions. Probably not what they wanted to hear or expected to hear. Well, this isn't really... We were hoping for a you know, long-term relationship sort of thing. Teacher, student. Um, and, and, but you're, you're going to die? We have to understand about Jesus that that's why he came. The whole purpose of his coming was to die. To glorify God in his death. And so when somebody says, I want to see Jesus, we got to show them the dead guy. This is him, dead. The, the, the grain, uh, the, the seed that has, that has died and, and fallen and been buried. That's, that's Jesus. We can't get away from that part of Jesus. There, there are parts of Christianity, and they're barely Christian, that will, that will say, no, no, the death wasn't important. The death was an accident. The death was just people doing awful things to, to somebody who was good. Now, we don't need to worry about that. No, 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 we do need. That is the whole reason he was here, was to die. Could God have done it another way? I ain't going to get into the could-haves, because I don't know. I ain't God. What I am going to say, though, is that the way God chose to do it was death. So, in that case, Jesus had to die. And Jesus knew it. Hi, guys. My name's Jesus. I'm going to be dead. It's not the greatest marketing tool. Not only am I going to be dead, I'm going to be glorified somehow through death. I haven't told you how yet. But you also need to surrender to me and to all that I'm going through. Number three, surrendered to. That's who Jesus is. He is someone to be surrendered to. Which is the next slide, Pat. There we go. Verses 25 and 26. I, uh, the, the seed is going to die, but it's going to grow. It's going to produce fruit. Let me tell you about those who want to see me, he says. So you want to see me? Well, I'm a glorified dead guy. And you need to do the same thing. Not the glorified part, because you don't get that. You don't get the glory. 
but you do get the death. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What do you think he means when he says, follow me? All the way to the grave. Willing to do everything he did. Again, not great marketing. Yeah, I'm going to be glorified. You're, you're, you're coming to see something impressive. Let me tell you about the glorification. Ooh, it's going to be great after I'm dead. And after you die with me. You've got to be surrendered to him. If you want to know who Jesus is, it is someone that we have to surrender to. We, we don't get to look at him as just the, this good teacher, this, this loving humanitarian this per- person who, who lifted up the poor and the, the, the oppressed. He, di- he did all those things, yes, but that's not just who he was. He was much more than that. And one of the things that he said he was was a dying, we're going to get to the Savior part in a little bit, but a dying man who told his followers, you've got to die with him. This is who these Gentiles, these Greeks, are being introduced to. So you've got to be willing to die with him. And you need to understand, as Jesus presents himself here, he is also human. Very, very human. He's going to be glorified. And he, we're going to get to, in just a second, some of the, the, the intense and incredible glorification that he's going to experience that tells us much about what he also is. But at this point, he lets us know that he is in every way except sin, just like us. Verse, the first part of 27, 27a. Now my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. We could say that in a number of different ways. I'm a little freaked out right now. Worried. Stressed. Uh, there are, he wasn't worried in the sense that he had not given it to God. That's what we call worry, taking a burden that isn't ours. Uh, worry is not good. Worry, actually, uh, if we, we look at Scripture, can be very sinful in our lives when we aren't willing to give things to God. That wasn't his level of worry. He was just going through the, human, the natural human emotion of a troubled spirit. He knew that he was going to be glorified, but only after he died. He also knew how he was going to die, and he says that in a minute too. But he says here, I am troubled by this. There there is no uh, account in John of the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, like we have in the other three Gospels. Lord, if this cup could pass from me, do it but not my will, but yours. That scene isn't in John. We have this place where he is doing the same thing, just not in the garden. What? My my soul is troubled. What should I say? Some Bible translators think that the question mark should go at the end of say. What should I say? And then at the end of the next phrase is a period. Father, save me from this hour. 
similar to the prayer in Gethsemane. Lord, let this cup pass from me. It wasn't a question, it was a statement. It was a request, but not a question. Here, he says, Father, save me from this hour. Well, if I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm told in just a couple of passages beforehand that in order to be a follower of Jesus, I got to follow him wherever he go, where you go, I'll go. Uh, that includes the cross. That includes death. I've just been told that. It helps me a little to know Jesus wasn't excited about dying either. Yes, the Jesus you see now is going to die. I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be dead. You have to follow me in that. The seed has to be buried for it to produce fruit. Same with you, fellas and ladies. And you know what? Nobody really wants to go through that. I am troubled about what I know I have to do. And what should I say? Should I try to get out of this? Father, save me from this hour. My hour has come, he said just a few verses earlier. Father, save me from this hour. If there is any other way, let's do that and not do this. It's a very, very human place to be. But then we see the faith. We see the followship. We see an obedient Christ. The one we're supposed to follow. Who, who goes through the emotion. Who doesn't want to do the whole dying on a cross thing. Because he knows. They don't know yet. But he knows. So that we can sit right with him and go, Jesus, I know what you've told me to do here, but I don't want to do it. My soul is troubled. And Jesus, sitting there talking to us, goes, I know, I know. Look, I know, okay? But just like me, you have to be obedient. Willing to do whatever. The end of verse 27, beginning of verse 28. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, save me from this hour. But that's why I came to this hour. That's why I'm here. Father, glorify your name. In our sitting with Jesus and our not wanting to do whatever the next step is, the next thing is that he's called us to do. And we say, I don't want to do this because of all the repercussions that we think are going to happen. And he says, I know, I know, be obedient and glorify God. God is glorified in our obedience. God is glorified when we are willing to do whatever. Jesus was obedient unto death, even death on the cross, we are told in the letters of the New Testament. We're also told in Hebrews that he, he learned obedience. It wasn't that he was imperfect, but he wanted, if there were any other way, to do something else. But instead, 
he was obedient. Obedient to death. And he was focused. He was focused on what had to be. He was focused on what needed to be. The end of 28. He says, uh, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I have glorified it. Most scholars believe that God here is talking about the life of Jesus. And actually, we wouldn't be too far out of the realm of of possibility to say the entire Bible from Genesis. But specifically, the life of Jesus. The previous three years, God had been glorifying himself. And God says, and I will do it again. Meaning, the cross and the resurrection. And then the ascension of Jesus, the the lifting him up. Look who Jesus is focused on. In his humanity, I don't want to do this. My soul's troubled. Father, save me from this hour. That's why I came to this hour. So instead, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. I don't want to be crucified, but Father, glorify your name. We sit with Jesus and we say, Jesus, I don't want to give up my alcohol. I don't want to give up my gossip. I don't want to give up my family. I don't want to give up my friends. I don't want to give up my relationships. I don't want to give up these things that you are calling me to give up. And Jesus says, glorify God. What is your focus? Is it on you and your stuff and your comfort and your things, or is it on God? Jesus' focus was on God, and he wanted to focus other people on God. He did not bring the glory to himself. Yes, he would be glorified. Yes, he would be seated at the right hand of the Father, co-regent with the Father for all of eternity. And yes, he was the second person of the Trinity that had always existed and been with God until uh, uh, up to the point that he was incarnate. And he didn't remove himself from the second person of the Trinity, but he set aside, as we have said, the the, uh, free use of those divine attributes when he came to earth. And one day he would be back. He left, but never left. How does that work, Michael? I don't know. But he did. And then he would go back. And the entire time, he would be pointing to God. That's the focus. That's what is important here. His words, his will, his desires... Focus on that. Because Jesus was focused on that. And then Jesus was authentic. God said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And apparently he said it out loud. Didn't use his inside voice. He used his outside voice. And everybody heard it. 
The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. We don't know exactly what they heard. It appears that some, John, the author, heard and knew what was said. Then there was another level of, we'd say, faith that could tell it was words and maybe heard what was said but didn't really know where it came from. And then there was another level of, of faith, uh, less and less faith as we move down these levels, that said, was that thunder? Understand, they had not heard God speak in 400 years. It was, it was a silent period since the last prophet to, to, Jeremiah, uh, to uh, John the Baptist... 400 years had passed, and they had decided that the only way God spoke now was through angels. And they had a very, very elaborate scheme of angels talking for God and all this stuff. So when they heard these words, they just assumed it was angels because it had been so long since they heard God. But God said it. And Jesus says, you didn't hear this for me. He could... he could have told me that straight, just right here, got the earpiece, you know, kind of like the coaches do with the quarterbacks nowadays in, in the NFL. They, they, they put the, the, the signals straight into them. They got the, the earbuds in, and, and, and they don't have to look to the sidelines anymore. Jesus could have gotten it that way. God said, all right, Jesus, no, you'll be glorified. I'll be glorified. I've done it before. I'll do it again. Could have, and he'd be like, cool, thanks. But instead, God said it out loud. He used his outside voice. And everybody heard it, and some of them knew what he was saying. And what we see is that Jesus was really God. He was the authentic God. I said this out loud, or Jesus said, he said this out loud for you, not for me. You need to know that when we get to the next couple of points... It's because God has said this from, to you directly. God has made clear that what I'm about to say is true. Authentically God. Then he says in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus is a judge. Can you imagine the Greeks taking notes on this? Sitting around by, okay, now he said, what? Now, but, so he, he, the seed and, and dying, and then it got thunder. Wow. Oh, um, trying, to, trying to grasp all this. That's why I said it was incredibly expansive, but uh, also astonishingly minute. It doesn't get to at all everything that Jesus is, and yet it is, a, it is overwhelming to see how much Jesus is described in these passages. Now is the judgment of the world. This hour that we've come to is the judgment of of this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus, earlier in John, said, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. And that's true. While on earth, he didn't judge the world. But he would be judged one day. And very quickly, now, the wheels are turning. When he would judge the world, when the, the, the... ruler of the world would be cast out. The devil doesn't know the future. The devil isn't omniscient. He doesn't know what's going to happen. 
He has read the Bible. He should have known some things, but he's the chief of arrogance. So he thinks he's going to defeat whatever comes his way. I don't believe the devil saw the, 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 the tomb, the empty tomb. He saw the tomb. He saw the cross and said, yes, we did it. We won, finally. And then, three days later, I think quicker, depending on what exactly Scripture means by God descended, or rather, Jesus descended, and what Peter's writing about when he preached to the the uh, the spirits, whatever's going on there, I, I think the devil was getting some idea. But the actual defeat came resurrection morning. When the devil woke up, some secondary demon, hey, Satan, wake up. Did you hear what those girls just said? He's not in the tomb. And judgment came. Now everything Jesus has said is proven true. Hey, we're not there yet, but he says judgment is coming. The prince, the, the ruler of this world, is, is, is thrown down now. He, at this point, the wheels are in motion. He cannot stop it. He is going to lose because, verse 32, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. He's going to die. It's, it's coming, and he's going to die on the cross. And no mention of the resurrection. This is why I don't really care for this passage and, and preaching it. It doesn't say anything about him resurrecting. Oh, if a seed dies, it must you know, go into the ground to produce fruit. But we don't ever think that that seed is back. It's something different. He doesn't tell us he's coming back. And I can just hear Satan, "Mm mm-hmm, you think you're going to, yeah, we're going to crucify him. We're we're working on that. I don't know how he thinks he's going to judge me when he's dead. Neener, neener. Don't forget that the cross was a curse. Cursed is a man who hangs on a tree. Islam, one of the reasons Islam will not accept Jesus as the Son of God, uh, aside from their belief that that is uh, polytheistic, multiple gods, is that he died on the cross. That's awful. You can't do that and be God because you're cursed and God can't be cursed. But he's letting them know, I'll be lifted up. And if I am, I will draw people. They will see me for who I am. They will know who I am. They will see Jesus. They will see the Messiah, verse 34. Because the people said, wait a minute. The Messiah is not supposed to die. They knew. They knew. He's called himself the Son of Man. They know what he means. Some of them probably believed or hoped he really was the Messiah, but the political Messiah that's going to take them out of Rome's uh, jurisdiction and finally Israel was going to be great again. They knew who he was saying he was. And they said, well, that can't be right. You can't die and be the Messiah. It's exactly the kind of Messiah he was going to be. And after three years, the people still weren't getting it. 
And he tells them, because in verse 35, he is still concerned. He is still trying to teach. Ten, uh, six days before he dies, if we fast forward to John 17, the night before he dies, he's still trying to teach the disciples and get stuff through their thick skulls. He's doing it right now with them. My soul's troubled, but let me explain it to you one more time, y'all. Verse 35. The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he is going. The light came into the world, but the world didn't receive it. They loved darkness more than they loved light. And he tells them, guys, the light right here. And I'm not going to be here much longer. And, and it's going to be harder for you to respond based on written testimony than it is if you would just listen to me right here when I'm talking to you. And they still, we don't get it. They didn't get Verse 36, that he says right to him, While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. Believe in the Savior. The Savior. The seed that's going to be planted and produce fruit. It's going to be glorified and, and, and dead. But it will be glorified again crucified for you, but will judge you if you don't follow me. The Messiah, the one who will save you, but not the way you think, because I am more concerned about your soul, about you seeing light from darkness, than I am about your, your as, as Christy prayed, your, your political situation or your financial situation. I'm worried about your soul, your eternity, that you may uh, have eternal life. Believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. He's not hiding anymore. Savior's not hiding from you. Jesus isn't hiding from you. The Savior is calling today. For you to believe in the light. We know the rest of the story. We know the end of the story. He was crucified. He was buried and he rose from the grave three days later, just like he promised. So if he said, by the way, I'm going to die, three days later going to rise. Then all of the other things he said, because that's pretty phenomenal that you got that one right. So all those other things about forgiveness, salvation, hope. The kingdom, all those things are proven true also. The Savior, the light, has come into the world. Will you see Jesus today? Maybe you need to see one of these 
aspects of him that we've talked about today, like turning a diamond and seeing the various ways light hits it. This is the various ways the light hits Jesus when we study him. Maybe you need to come as he talked to those Greeks. You need to see the light of Jesus. You need Jesus as your Savior today. I already mentioned Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. Because you're a sinner, you're going to die. And that's what you deserve for it. And you can't do anything about it. You can't fix the sin problem. You are broken. Life is broken. The world is broken. But there's a fix. And that fix was a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. Your wages of sin is death. Eternal death. But instead, you can have eternal life. The light has come into the world to save you. But you've got to receive the light. Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what God provided. That's the fix. That's the gift. That's who Jesus said he was. You may be looking... You may have come to Jesus. You may be asking about Jesus for any number of reasons. God, fix this in my life. Jesus, fix that in my life. God, do this. Jesus, do that. And what Jesus is saying to you this morning is, we'll talk about those things. But will you see me today for who I am and who you need to see me as? Not your fix. Not your therapist but your Savior. Today is your day for seeing Jesus. And maybe you need to make a decision based on seeing Him today. You need to see Him as your Savior and you want to accept Christ as your Savior. Believe in Him. Put your faith in Him. That's your next step to take today. Trusting Jesus as your Savior. It's as simple as a prayer. Next slide, please, Pat. It's as simple as a prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves you, but it's that simple. Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, is what the thief on the cross said. It's as simple as that, but it's as, as, as complex, as, as, as unfathomable as giving your whole life to him. Because it's not just a prayer. It's everything. Lord Jesus, save me. Maybe you've trusted Jesus as Savior. You've heard the message a bunch of times. Maybe some Sunday back, you, in your heart, responded in faith. Lord Jesus, that's what I want. I want to be saved. Jesus, save me. I turn from my sin. You've done that, but now you need to follow in baptism. Maybe you've been baptized as a child. You were, you, you were dunked, you were sprinkled, but you had no faith. There was nothing real going on in your life, and you want to now truly come in obedience to be baptized. Maybe come truly to be saved. Maybe you need to submit to who you have seen Jesus to be this morning. You're a believer. You follow Jesus, but you know you've not submitted to him like you should today you're going to do that. Follow a new plan, a new purpose. Jesus, I don't want to do this. And Jesus says, I know you don't, and I didn't really want to either, but obedience is what's required. Join our church. 
Maybe that's your decision. Whatever it is, share that decision with us this morning on a connection card. You can come and uh, talk to one of us during this song that we're going to sing. Message us online. Send us an email. Whatever it is, with the, whatever decision you need to make this morning, let us pray with you about it. Talk to you about it. Love you through it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. That scripture is clear to us on who Jesus is. Clear. Overwhelming, but still clear. Over and over and over, scripture tells us who Jesus was. Lord, may we accept that, internalize that, and adjust our lives because of that. Lord, may we pray every day just like these Greeks did. We want to see Jesus. I want to see him in my life. I want to see him in my opportunities to share him. I want others to see Jesus in me. God, may Jesus be seen today by everyone here. As we worship, as we reflect, Lord, if there's someone who is seeing Jesus today for the first time, like with their heart, not with their eyes, but with their heart, I see Jesus as the Savior I need. God, I pray today they will trust. They will believe. They will accept. They will repent of their sin, and they will turn their lives over to Jesus and follow him in obedience. God, you work in this place today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we sing, I'll be up here to my right. Chelsea will be to my left. You might want to pray with somebody. Justin and Lee will be in the back. You might want to pray with them. Maybe you just want to come here to the stage, make it an altar, and give it to the Lord. Whatever your decision is this morning, listen to the Lord as he draws you and respond in faith and obedience to the Jesus you have seen today. Let's stand and sing and worship.